0: To make things like this easier.
1: I'm reading.
0: And ultimately, enjoy educating your kids. And what's that last thing?
2: Have fun together. Did I do good, Daddy?
0: (laughs) Yeah, you did, sweetie. Good job. Hello and welcome to Homeschool Together Podcast. If you can take a minute, head down into the show notes, connect with us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Check out our great resource guide that we have out. And if you could head on, on over to iTunes and give us a review, we'd really love to see that. Ariel, today we have a great interview with oh, one of the, the She was
2: lovely. I just I'm gonna with, gush. I don't know before you the, even say it. She was lovely. I it's I feel like
0: Can we say she's the Oprah of secular homeschooling?
2: No, I mean, I don't know that I would say that. Um, <laughs> but she's pretty amazing and so here's some background. So we today we are talking with Emily Cook from Build Your Library Curriculum, and uh, that's the secular homeschool curriculum that we are using with our daughter. We are so excited about it. And for me, this is, I don't know, I feel like this is like the moment when we've made it. We on the podcast. We have made it.
0: We've we pulled a heavy hitter in.
2: Well, and, and the yeah. reason is for me when we we've we're in known, the
0: big leagues. We're out of the minor leagues. We're in the big <laughs> leagues now.
2: Yeah, I feel like it. I feel like it was legit. You know, we we've always wanted to homeschool. If you've listened to our story, we we've wanted to homeschool since well before we had children, and we knew that that's what we wanted for our family. Uh, but after our, our oldest daughter was born. She was about a year old or so. <laughs> she turns yeah. five tomorrow. So uh you know, it's been it's been a while and I started kind of looking up what we what would we do? What is what would homeschooling look like? Now we've known we wanted to do it, but what curriculums are out there? What might we wanna do? And I found this curriculum and I told you us oh my gosh. You got to look at this. This is amazing. Look at look at this. It's it's K through 12. It's secular. Um it's starting with an around the world journey and then it starts into first grade is ancient civilizations and it goes forward in time and look at all these great books and it's all literature based and we which we love to love to read and I just I fell in love with this curriculum and it's the first thing in homeschooling beyond uh, just a theory of what mm-hmm. homeschooling was going to be. It was something tangible that this is what I'm gonna use with my daughter. I know it. I can't wait. And now we got to talk to her. Like, how cool is that?
0: Yeah, I know. No, it was actually a very it was a very informative interview and you can really I think the big thing that I took away from it is that she's she has a a deep rooted understanding of homeschooling. Um obviously she has a very popular curriculum that goes the it goes the full distance, right, right? It
2: does, and she has a ton of homeschooling experience as a homeschool parent. Four and she's children. a, home- and
0: you know, as we we playfully called her the veteran, she she has a deep understanding of it, and I think that comes out in the interview. I really enjoy the theory side of the of the house. You know, mm-hmm. everybody's read the Alfie Cohens, the Holtz, the Gatto's. but it's it's really interesting to see somebody who has devoted you know a couple decades of her life now. To the homeschooling community, and has given back in the form mm-hmm. of this great curriculum that a lot of people use. That we are going to use for our kindergartner. I I'm just excited to have everybody here listen to this podcast. Hear Emily Cook, you know, talk very eloquently about mm-hmm. her homeschool story, her you know the background of the curriculum, how she updates it, a lot of her thinking. It's really fun to see her thinking because when you see her think, when you hear her say. What she's thinking, you can see that manifest in the curriculum, and it's really right. nice.
2: And she goes into the details with how she applies Charlotte Mason in a secular way, how that influenced her decisions. And yeah, it was pulling back the curtain, and I had to stop myself from being too much of a fangirl mm-hmm. because – uh, I just, I I love her and everything she's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she, she was lovely. And, and I hope that this is helpful to folks. And we were even able to crowdsource some questions.
0: Yes, uh, we from the community. Yeah,
2: yes. yeah. Uh, one of our Facebook members, Andrea, actually asked mm-hmm. a couple of the questions that we asked to to Emily. So thank you, Andrea. We really appreciate mm-hmm. it. And in future, when we do interview other folks, we'll we'll try to crowdsource uh, more questions, you know, more questions and, and try to get answers to to things that you're all wondering. So another great reason to connect with us on our Facebook group. Yeah.
0: And in, in the podcast, there's a lot of references to a lot of websites, a lot of books. We are going to have all those links in the show notes below. Try to put as many as we can.
2: Yeah, don't worry about writing them down. Don't
0: worry about writing them down. They'll be in the show, show notes. Look down below, just below the resource guide. You'll see it at the bottom. Um, go ahead and click on them. Find out read those books you know read the books that that Emily's reading like like a good graduate student in college don't read the article read the read the 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 citations you know we got to read it all so those are all down there for you to enjoy so let's go right into it with our interview with Emily Cook
2: hi emily thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast
1: thank you so much for having me
2: uh, we're just i mean I'm more than a little thrilled that you're here Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> when we first uh, started looking into homeschooling when our daughter was um, maybe a year old <laughs> or so I found your <laughs> curriculum and I have been just uh, so excited to get started with it and we're just about to to start so so uh, for those folks uh, that are listening audience that don't know you can you give a, a bit of background of, of who you are your homeschooling journey and um, then we can jump in to build your library.
1: Absolutely. Hi, I'm Emily Cook, and I'm the author and creator of Build Your Library Homeschool Curriculum, which is a secular Charlotte Mason-inspired program. Um, I've been a homeschooling mother for many, many years (laughs) for four children, and they've always been homeschooled. And I've graduated three of them as of this past year. So two of them are now thriving in college. And so I think it's been 18 years that we've been homeschooling and I'm down to just my last one, my youngest, who's 11 year old. So it's, it's been a long time.
0: (laughs) That that is, um, so we we can refer to you as the homeschooling veteran for for
1: the most part. Um, That always sounds so weird to me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, you know, the, what you know inspired you to create the build your library curriculum you said that you've been homeschooling for a long time but build your library I think on your website's only you know just a few you know about eight or eight or seven Mm -hmm. seven eight years old so what inspire what inspired you through your initial journey as a homeschooler to then go ahead and develop this curriculum that spans you know from kindergarten to 12th grade you know what was that inspiration or what was that drive
1: Well, when I was first starting out, like in our early years of homeschooling, I would just spend like hours and hours of time hunting for that perfect curriculum. And I think we all do that. But like, I just, we tried so many different things. And I discovered Charlotte Mason and literature-based learning pretty early on. And I knew that that's what I wanted. And that's exactly like, that was my drive. I wanted that curriculum. And so when I started like really digging in and looking for like what, literature based programs were out there everything i was finding was just very religious and so i was constantly having to change things and like rework every program that we did and it got to a point after several years of that that i was just writing my own because nothing was working the way i wanted it to and so i i just sort of decided one day that i was doing this on my own and i didn't need to use somebody else's curriculum anymore so at that point I realized that it's not just me out here trying to do this. Like, there's a hole in this market that I had figured out how to fill for my family. So, why not try to see if I could help fill that gap for others as well? So, Build Your Library is basically built on my experience just homeschooling my own kids in this particular style. So, well,
0: what about what is it about the literature based curriculum that kind of grabbed you as a homeschooling parent?
1: I have always been a bookworm. Like I know my mom tells stories about how when I was like three years old, I taught myself how to read and I would scream myself to sleep every night from birth, basically. And as soon as I learned how to read, I could go to bed quietly. So I just, I've always been a reader. I've always loved reading and I would get in trouble all the time in school because I was always reading something else instead of doing what I was supposed to be doing. So realizing that I could teach my children with real books. We didn't have to use textbooks. We could actually just read things that we enjoyed and learn from that was just a game changer.
0: So this is inspired from Charlotte Mason. Would you be able to kind of give us the elevator pitch on Charlotte Mason, what it is, who she was? (laughs)
1: Yeah, (laughs) so Charlotte Mason was a 19th century British educator. And she was quite revolutionary for her time because she believed that children were whole persons with their own minds and their own ideas, not just empty buckets to be filled with knowledge. And she spoke of education in three parts. Education is an atmosphere, a discipline, a life. And it's not just reading great books. I mean, that's a big part of what I do and what I've taken from Charlotte Mason. But it's really there's so much more to her theory than just reading living books. It's really about educating the whole child. Like that quote, education is an atmosphere, a discipline of life. It really sums up her idea that everything that we do is part of our child's education from the books that we read to the way we just talk around the breakfast table to how we choose to decorate our house to the music we play throughout the day. It's all part of that atmosphere. And I'm, I really think that Charlotte Mason's philosophy is more of a lifestyle, per se, than a type of curriculum.
0: So so you it inspired kind of this, yeah, lived experience, kind of this, yeah. like, you're almost like you're in fish and water. It's Education is all right, the time. Right, total immersion is what yeah. I'm thinking. Yes. So what, when you began to do the Build Your Library curriculum, when you started, you know, designing it and building it, um, did you start with some initial curriculum ideas or did you just, you know, go whole cloth, fresh and new, go right from Charlotte Mason? What was the kind of that like genesis point for you?
1: Um, I had been doing um, a basic like four-year cycle for history. So that was a big part of what I wanted my program to be because I just think that makes the most sense to me to to gradually like work through history chronologically and so that was a big component that I wanted to include. And there's just so many great books that I'd read with my kids or that I'd wanted to read with them that I wanted to include. So, um, and of course, I tailored it to use Charlotte Mason's ideas of narration and copywork and dictation and those types of things that really worked well for us in our homeschool that I thought would would be sort of a universal, like this is the way to do Charlotte Mason in that I wanted to include in the curriculum.
0: Could you describe like um, maybe, you know, just as an example of like what a what a year of Build Your Library looks like, you know, maybe for, a, we have, we tend to focus on younger audiences here with uh, mm. early learners, with kindergartners, first, second and third graders. That's kind of our, the niche of the listeners that we have, you know, what, what are they expecting if they, you know, worked on a Build Your Library curriculum for those years?
1: Um, well, then I'll talk about level zero, since that's probably okay. the level that your audience would be the most interested in. Um, that would be a world geography year. I've always loved geography. I'm, I have love reading about other cultures and other places and that sort of thing. So I really wanted to include that in Build Your Library. And we actually have two world geography years, level zero, and then we come back to it in level seven at a more middle grade level. But basically, what you're going to get in level zero is you're going to cover geography. And within geography, you're going to be cooking, you're going to be doing art. So you're studying the world through like hands-on ways, as well as reading lots of great picture books and things. And the science in that level is all about animals. So you're studying animals around the world. So as you're focusing on one continent, you're learning about the kinds of foods they eat, the art you might find there, um, how people live, the animals that live in that environment and what that environment is like. I include poetry just as an introduction to poetry. It's not, you're not meant to do anything with it. You just read it a couple times a week just to expose your children to what poetry sounds like and different kinds of poems. And there's a lot of like fun activities around it, but it's not really any like writing or there's no, narration there's no copy work or dictation at that level because charla mason believes you should wait until a child is at least six to begin that so i don't include any of that because level zero is a very gentle sort of introduction to what homeschooling looks like
2: so you recommend uh on the site that we we need to add a math curriculum and Kind of wondering as you've as you've uh, gone through homeschooling your children and using your own curriculum with them and now graduating them, what other supplements have you used throughout the years uh, beyond math uh, with Build Your Library?
1: Um, probably the ones that I would recommend that I've used um, in the younger years, my kids all loved Explode the Code workbooks for phonics. And I would also count that as spelling. Um, I don't know, something about them are just fun for kids. I don't quite know why, <laughs> but they work really well. Um, we also used Handwriting Without Tears. I don't know if it's because my children are all left-handed, but that program just really worked well for them. In the middle grade years and elementary years, we've also used um, Jack Chris Publishing, their workbooks, um, Growing, Growing with Grammar, and Soaring with Spelling. Those are the ones that we've mostly used and they are really bare bones, but they work really well. And my kids all, for some reason, love workbooks, which is weird to me, but <laughs> but that really just hit their need for having workbooks. Um, I know in the older years, my twins struggled a lot with writing. And the thing that we used that I think worked the best for them is Writing with Skill by Susan Weisbauer. It's not so much something they enjoyed using, but I think it works really well. It's a very solid program, very thorough, and it definitely got the job done. But for something more fun, I would say Mad Libs. It's one of our hands-down favorite things that we use because it's just silly and fun. And I feel like they all got a really good grounding in basic grammar in their elementary years just using Mad Libs. Like, I don't think we even used a, like a formal grammar until they were all about somewhere around 10 but we did a lot of mad Libs and i feel like we blew through a lot of the early grammar stuff because of that
0: with a lot of parents there's multiple kids in the household and it sounds like you have, i think you have 4 um we have we have a lot of our listeners who are on our facebook page um have said that they have multiple kids in the house do you do you recommend um you, how to use your curriculum with multiple kids in the you know in the same room or in the same household how how, how do you you know guide people in doing that
1: I always recommend especially if you have a fairly close age range to try to combine into one level because it's just it's a lot to try to juggle especially if you're new to homeschooling and you don't want to be doing two separate levels if you don't have to. Hmm. It'll reduce your workload as the homeschooling parent and it'll kind of build this nice bond in your your have like a one room schoolhouse kind of feel when you're all studying the same things. And of course, you'd still have separate math curriculums and separate like spelling and that sort of thing. They can do that on their own level. But working together on the history or the geography, it really sets a great tone, I think, in the household because you're all doing something together.
2: How far apart? would, you know, maximum age range or, or would you take two levels and kind of combine them into one big study for both kids? Our our kids are three and a half years apart. So we're kind of looking at how would we do this as they get older?
1: I actually think three to four year range is probably the the biggest stretch I would recommend for combining just because otherwise, if you have like a six-year-old and a 12-year-old, that's going to be too hard to combine in one level because the six-year-old's not going to be able to handle the material that the 12-year-old can handle. And your 12-year-old is going to think everything the six-year-old is doing is too babyish, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think a three to four-year age gap is probably the widest. I know my kids, my older three were three years apart and we always did everything together. And then my youngest came along and she had to do everything separate from them because it was just too big of a gap.
2: Oh I see. So so if you're going to do one level, would you recommend like splitting the difference between the ages and you know if you've got a um you know a, a sixth grader and a third grader going with a fifth grade or fourth grade, you know, level like do you do you split the difference or do you do you tend on the younger side and then give harder things to the older learner that are more appropriate for his or her age?
1: Um I really I I think this really depends on the children because mm. I mean, some younger kids are mature enough that they can handle a higher level and some older kids would prefer to be at a lower level. So it really depends on your kids and what they're capable of, like what their comprehension is like. Mm -hmm. Um, I know a lot of people prefer to to aim lower and then add on because it's definitely easier to add more things than it is to take out things. So that could be a factor to consider.
0: Over the last you know, eight, seven or eight years, how has you know Build Your Library changed as kind of a product? Has it evolved over time? Have you found things that parents have struggled with that you've tweaked, common issues maybe? Like what, what type of things have changed over time for you as a creator?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that um, I've probably evolved as I've been working through how to do this. Like when I first, my first two levels I put out were levels one and five and mm. I feel I felt for a long time like I needed to go back. Like I knew for a couple of years now that I was going to go back and redo level five completely because what I did it originally it was as I was doing that level with my twins. Like we were in that level, and so I was sort of writing and doing at the same time, and okay. it was very I felt bare bones because I wasn't quite sure what build your library was going to be as I was writing it. Like I had a very like vague idea of what I wanted and I was sort of in the process of figuring it out. And by the time I had written a few more levels, like I felt like I'd honed in on what I thought it was going to become. And so I knew I needed to go back at some point and redo that level because I felt I could do better. And so that's been a big thing is like learning about like what other people are saying about how they use it and what's worked for people, what hasn't worked for people, and how I go through the changes when I update based on, like, if there's a particular book that a lot of people just don't get or don't like or everyone's skipping that book, then I'll go ahead and say, okay, I need to reevaluate that book and find something better to use there or that sort of thing. And a big part of the levels five and six updates that I just did was diversifying because when I started writing Build Your Library, like history of us was the basically the only thing on the market that existed for that level for American history that was secular. And so I had to work with what was on the market. And as years have gone by, new things have come out that I'm like, oh this is amazing. I have to use this. Like when I was writing level 12, which is an American history year, I just kept finding so many great middle grade things that covered American history in such a great way. So I was like compiling this huge stack of books that I'm like, this is gonna be the new level five. It's definitely a process.
2: I know you're in the middle of level zero now and mm-hmm. you're gonna be doing level one soon. Um, I'm yeah. very excited about the History Quest. Can you talk a little bit about the change from Story of the World to History Quest and, and what you see as the, uh, the, the big uh, improvement in, in the change?
1: Yeah. um, Well, like I said before, like with History of Us, Story of the World has been it for the longest time. And I, I know that people have issues with it, but that's, it's like the only thing on the market that works the way I want it to. So it's sort of been, I've been stuck with it for a long time. And I still like Story of the World, because it's a storytelling way of teaching history, which I just think is a great way to study history. So when I talked, I remember talking to Kate, at Press a few years back and she was telling me about this new product they we were going to have history quest and I got so excited <laughs> so I've been like okay but you have to pass me this like I need to see it so I can I can work on my new level one when that comes out and so I've been very excited I've been reading through it with my youngest we read through most of it last year and I thought it was really great it's a great like Improvement upon Story of the World in that it's it still teaches in a storytelling way, and I love the history hops where it kind of goes you go back in time and you visit someone who lived in that time period and they tell you about what their life is like. It's really cool, and so I really like the improvement on the fact that it's a hundred percent secular. There's there's no like Bible stories being told as true while Greek mythology is told as a story, you know that sort of thing. So it's Mm -hmm. all hundred percent secular. And the writing is great. So I'm very excited about that.
2: So, and they plan to come out with future future levels of that, right? I think they do. They only have the, they yeah. only have the first one now. And so are you- The first
1: you- one's out. And the, I know the um, Middle Ages one, I forget what it's called. I think it, they call it Middle Times, maybe. That's coming out really soon. I'm not sure exact um, when the, the actual release date is, but I know it's very soon. And I don't know beyond that. If I'll be using any of the other history quests in Build Your Library, because I believe that they're going to be doing a American history, I think, after that, which wouldn't line up as well with what I do. But definitely the first two books are going to be used in Build Your Library.
2: Okay, great. That's terrific. Um, Can, can you talk about uh, other upcoming, upcoming things you might have uh, beyond the updates for level zero and level one?
1: Yeah, I'll be doing, I'm basically, this is like the year of the update and it's going to continue (laughs) into next year because I'm basically going through everything. Um, And I don't know for certain, like, I know there's a lot of books that are becoming hard to find and I don't know if it's because they're out of print or if it has to do with COVID shortages on, I know there's a paper shortage. So I don't know yet how much things, how much is going to actually change and how much will come back in to the market in a, a year or so. I don't know but my goal is to try to replace anything that is just becoming impossible to find. There's a lot of books that have just disappeared from the market, which has been very stressful, but (laughs) I'm hoping I can replace everything
2: and you used to be able to get things used. And now the used markets yeah. dried up. I was trying to find uh, around the world art and activities for level zero. Oh, I that book
1: like, is impossible. Impossible. Yeah, no. <laughs> I should have bought
2: it last year. You know, it's like, oh, I have time. I'll get it later. It's like, no, you, you really you just can't find it. It doesn't exist. <laughs> right. On the on the used market. And I know you're replacing yeah, that now. It's with been like that
1: art. for been like that for a lot of books like all of a sudden all at once and I'm not used to that I'm used to like (laughs) oh this book went out of print so I'll replace it here and there throughout like the course of writing this but like for everything to go out of print all at once has been a little bit stressful but I'm excited when I find new things though so
2: yeah I'm I watched your um your tea chat on Facebook the other day and Mm -hmm. and hear you talk about the new books that are coming for level zero and I was very excited um, to dust off my credit card as if I haven't <laughs> been buying enough books and get those. Um, so can you talk with us about some of the other things you you have the the levels as we said from from kinder to twelfth, but you also have unit studies and the book club. And yes. can you tell us a, a little bit about those?
1: Yeah, I've been writing unit studies kind of in between when I'm working on other levels, just because I think unit studies are so much fun, and I like to have a nice variety of things. So, like, I have the Harry Potter unit studies so it's one unit per each book and within those you also do a hogwarts course muggle style so you do like herbology which is just a study of botany and that sort of thing so that's been really fun to write i also have like holiday themed units so i have a thanksgiving unit i have um a jan brett christmas unit and uh, winter holidays around the world So I've tried to come up with ideas that I see like a lack of on the market. Like I have a prehistory unit study that's sort of like a nice bridge in between level zero and level one. And I have a a Darwin and evolution unit study because that was something I felt like needed to exist. So I -hmm. I wrote it. Um, And that was actually one of the very first units I think I did, the Darwin and evolution and then the Hobbit unit study which is still to this day, like my favorite unit study that I've ever done with my children. It was just so much fun. I love The Hobbit. It's one of my all-time favorite books. So that's a great unit. Um, Mm -hmm. And then we also have recently started um, the read aloud book club packs, which I used to do the family reading crates, which was a book for everyone in the family. And that just, it was a lot. It was a lot of work to do. And it was just It wasn't working the way i wanted it to so i'm like well how can i make this better and i decided to pare it down and just focus on the one read aloud so it's a read aloud for the whole family and each month is a specific theme like the one for october was thrills and chills and it's a fun spooky story to read with your whole family and all the books included in that are middle grade and i include a discussion guide And it it also comes with recommendations for other books that are on the same theme that you can share with your whole family. And it's divided by picture books, middle grade, and then young adult and adult reading. So something for everybody on the list. And then we also have a Facebook group where you can come and chat about the books. So it's a a nice little book club to talk about what you're reading.
2: That's awesome. So how young would you say for the um for the book club pack since it's you know meant to be for the family it's kind of middle grade so maybe kind of mid-elementary at the youngest
1: yeah i would say it really depends on what kind of stories your child is used to if they're already listening to chapter books then they're ready for it
2: oh okay well i'm just mm-hmm. let me yeah, get my list up, out then. here <laughs> <laughs> we just finished doing a harry potter with our uh just turning five-year-old this week mm-hmm. and uh i was like oh that unit study, I'm just gonna be. We'll just go back to it in a few years when she's a little bit older, and then we'll we'll be able to do that with it. But we're very excited.
0: So a lot of the people who are listening to our podcast. We tend to call them accidental homeschoolers, or they're very new hmm. to homeschooling, um, and like our all of our lives orbiting the the black hole that is COVID. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you've obviously probably seen a huge surge in interest in your curriculum. Um, have you seen common problems or issues that keep cropping up to new homeschoolers that maybe you've seen on your message boards or, you know, issues that have been reported to you that people are struggling with? Could could you talk a little bit about those issues that maybe you've heard about and maybe some solutions you could offer them?
1: I think the biggest one is, especially for people who are like brand new to this is that homeschooling does not look like public school. And you have to kind of let go of some of those ideas that you've been have been ingrained in you, like structured routines and things that you think school looks like. It doesn't look like that when you homeschool. And I think the biggest thing I would recommend is for new, brand new homeschoolers, especially COVID homeschoolers, to just like take a month and do nothing, decompress, no, de-school. and let like take that time to read and read as much as you can about homeschooling and what homeschooling looks like and read blogs, read books, like do some research on homeschooling before you start jumping into anything. Because I don't know, I know for myself, like way back when I first started, I just kept buying curriculum after curriculum after curriculum, because like, I I couldn't find exactly what I was looking for. But I knew like, this wasn't working, and that wasn't working. And so I think taking that month to really focus on like, What does this look like? And what will it look like for my children? We'll go a long way to just making this whole thing easier and smoother to transition to.
0: So Ariel and I just put out a podcast. One of the questions we've been seeing, uh, issues that we've had people mention is, am I doing enough? This time, mm. the amount of time I'm putting on, and we actually did a deep dive on, you know, what an average day of a kindergartner, first grader, and second grader looks like, like minute by minute, and then comparing in, that in to public school Yeah, in public mm-hmm. school and comparing that to, say, a homeschool experience. What type of, you know, for that parent that's asking, am I doing enough or how much should I be doing? What is a, you know, for a kindergartner, maybe as an example, what what's the level of time they should be committing to the daily homeschooling routine?
1: I would say, and it usually shocks people, for a kindergartner, no more than like 30 to 45 minutes a day. That's it. And that's structured. I'm not talking about playtime or like nature walks and things like that. But like actual structured learning should never take more than like 30 to 45 minutes for a kindergartner. Just because they're in school for hours doesn't mean they need to be working for hours. That's a great way to like ruin school for your children I think is to like force them to sit down and, and do school for more than two hours at a time that's just too much for a child that age
2: so you wouldn't include read aloud time in that I'm guessing
1: no read aloud right. I would say anything that the kid is already thinking is fun like reading aloud going for a walk you know mm-hmm. that sort of thing doesn't count in that time I'm talking about like sitting down schoolwork and honestly at that age I, I in my own personal experience. For kindergarten, all we ever did was reading lessons. That was it. That was our only set like thing that we did. Everything else was sort of just added in as play, even math. We never did formal math until my kids were at least six years old.
2: So you're talking about this process of, uh, you know, deschooling and reading up as much as you can about, about homeschooling. We've been uh, buried in books ourselves. I just finished Brave Writer, which was really, or uh, Brave Learner, I'm sorry, which was really great um, by Julie Bogart. But what other uh, homeschooling philosophy books would you recommend to new homeschoolers to read?
1: Um, I'm going to go old school and recommend The Well-Trained Mind by Susan Weisbauer just because I feel like that is like the one thing that has the, that kind of scope and depth. It's filled with recommendations. I haven't even seen the newest version yet. So I'm sure it's, it probably has a lot more like updated Um, recommendations for curriculum, but it's, it's probably the one book that I've consistently returned to over the years for just for inspiration or motivation, or just like checking in to make sure I am doing what I'm supposed to be doing. (laughs) So I feel like that's probably my favorite resource Um, for books specifically about Charlotte Mason and implementing her theory. um, Besides obviously reading her own original writings, I would say My favorite is probably Karen Andreola's Charlotte Mason Companion, but I have to throw in the caveat that it's from a Christian perspective, and she definitely espouses the idea that old-fashioned is better than modern. So if you can look past that, I feel like, especially for me, in my own experience, I, I feel like it gave me a pretty good grounding of how Charlotte Mason's theories could actually work and be implemented in a homeschool setting. And um, not a book per se, but in my early years of homeschooling, and even today, I still go back and read up on stuff, but I loved Melissa Wiley's homeschool blog. It's, I think it's called Here in the Vani Glen. And just, she was super inspirational. And I just, I wish like I could be her sometimes. (laughs) I feel like she's my ideal homeschool mom. Um, but her high tide, low tide schooling that she wrote about was just very informative for my own homeschooling. And so I feel like I wish she'd compile all of her blog into a book because I, I just think that'd be great. And then my last recommendation, it's not a homeschooling book, but I think it's invaluable. It's called Deconstructing Penguins: Parents, Kids, and the Bond of Reading by Lawrence and Nancy Goldstone. And I actually talked about this, I think recently, I don't know if it was in my last tea with Emily, but I talked about it fairly recently. Um, But that's a book about how to talk about books with your kids. And I think it does a really great job of telling, showing you how to have great, like deep conversations with your children about books. And that as well as a literary analysis talk, I listened to once, I think by Susan Weisbauer, really helped me Learn how to talk about books with my kids, and it also really helped me to write thought-provoking discussion questions for the literature books I use in Build Your Library.
0: Um, Thank you. Could you talk a little bit about your book?
1: Oh, of course. Yes, um, my book is all about like how Charlotte Mason works in in a homeschool setting. Like I would say, my book is basically me sharing over a cup of tea, like what my homeschool has been like and how I've come to the way I use Charlotte Mason's ideas in our homeschool. And I tried to specifically because one of my favorite resources was a Charlotte Mason Companion by Karen Andriola, which was very much like how to live an old-fashioned life while teaching this way. I wanted my book to counter that and be like how this works in a modern homeschool with you know, technology and new books and things that exist now that didn't exist when Charlotte Mason was alive. And I think that that right there has been like the biggest thing for me in how I use Charlotte Mason and how I tell other people about Charlotte Mason and that Charlotte Mason didn't, doesn't have to exist in that vacuum. of We only use things that existed when she was alive to teach our children. I think if she were alive today, she would absolutely love like all of the technology that we have mm-hmm. at our, grasp and like all the things that we can do now that didn't exist then is are still worthwhile and great like I think that's such an important thing to point out to people so that they don't get bored with it because I feel like if you you're only reading all those old-fashioned books like especially for children who want to read things like Harry Potter and more modern stories like they can't relate to that sort of thing as much so Showing that you can still have modern ideas and modern things in in your homeschooling and still be following Charlotte Mason's philosophy was a big part of why I wanted to write that book
2: that's great and and I know that you uh, do have two kind of a it was a little bit tongue in cheek, but I appreciated it. Um, kind of a homeschooling would you build your library university um, home oh, for parents, yes. <laughs> for parents series of blog posts could you could yes. you tell our listeners a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, honestly, that was just me like trying to organize everything. I get a lot of questions where I end up just sharing a link to my blog because I'm like, well, I have an article all about that. So it turned into me just going, what if I just compiled all of this and said, here, just read this. (laughs) This will answer all of your questions. So yeah, that was it was it is a little tongue in cheek, but it was just me like trying to be helpful and like organize everything because especially with the surge that we've had this year and with all these new accidental homeschoolers, as you put it like that just makes it so much easier for them, I think, to to find out what they need to know about Bilger Library and how to homeschool in this manner. If everything's just in one nice, easy package,
2: yeah, I really liked it. It's kind of, uh, I'm telling Matthew because he hasn't seen it, but it's you know, a series of of courses almost, and you just kind of yeah. go in order. And I I just devoured it and thought that was a great resource. We'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes for, for the listeners.
0: Um, So you have kids in college. So maybe we'll yeah. talk a little bit about, you know, the, the whole education landscape has been evolving over the last decade or so with the, you know for for better or worse, the Common Core has come into a lot of people's lives. It drives a lot of like the metrics that we have to meet and a lot of different states have different standards, different expectations, dis- different testing requirements. How, how did you evolve with that with both the curriculum that you produce and then also as, as a mom yourself and teaching your children, how, how did that impact you? as your kids moved up through the grades and, and, and off into college? How, how did that influence or affect you guys?
1: Um, I would say it, it wasn't so much um, an influence on me until when I started writing curriculum. And then it was like, oh, is this a thing I should think about or be concerned with? And I don't know, for what, what I understand about Common Core, it's mostly to do with math and like language, arts, like grammar, and things like that. So, I haven't really worried too much about it because that's not like what I'm aiming for in writing my curriculum. I, I usually tell people that this is more focused on like learning how to learn and that sort of thing than like following a set of standards. Yeah,
0: I think, I think the concern for maybe some of the listeners that we have is that they're afraid that they're not going to do enough for their kid, for like a first grader or second grader, you know, with COVID, they've pulled their kids out, yeah. they're, they're doing home education, there, I think there's this general fear. And I mean, it's, it's well, it's well formed, because they're not necessarily educators themselves, they, they're having to do it here on the fly, that they're afraid when their kid goes back into third grade or fourth grade, that they're going to be behind or something of that, of that nature. I think that's the big fear that a lot yeah. of people are having. Well,
1: I would say to that, that being behind is a myth, there's no behind and I I know that there's like a set like this is what your child should be doing at this age but I would say that even in a given classroom that's not going to be accurate for every child in the class anyway some kids are going to be ahead some in the middle and some are behind and it's not something to concern yourself with unless you know you're putting your kid back in school within a year but even then I think as long as you are reading with your child as long as they're reading. As long as they are doing math at their grade level, that sort of thing, you're not going to get behind. Like it's not it's not really something to worry about. I think behind is one of those big boogeyman myths that we build up in our minds, especially as homeschoolers. Like oh no, what if we ruin our children? But if you care about your kids' education enough to, that you're putting in the effort to homeschool, then you're not going to ruin them. They're not going to get behind. They're not gonna you're not gonna cause them to not be able to get into college or any of those things that scare us and keep us up at night. So
0: good. No, thank you. You're an expert. And I just wanted you to say that. And I want everybody (laughs) to take a deep (laughs) breath and relax.
2: (laughs) So you're, you're you're talking about college and, and so we're kind of, we're curious now that you have um, children in college, what was that process like for them to get in? How did the colleges view them as homeschoolers and their transcripts kind of quote unquote?
1: I'm going to feel kind of like a fraud and that my kids got went are in art school. So it wasn't a huge process and that we didn't have to do a whole, we didn't jump through a lot of hoops. Like they they got in on their merit as my, my oldest daughter is a creative writer. So she had to submit a portfolio of her writing. Um, my other daughter's in art school for illustrations. so She had to submit like, I don't remember what it was, 15 pieces. I mean, yes, they wanted our transcripts and that sort of thing, but they didn't really care about test scores and that sort of stuff. They were for, more focused on oh you've completed this kind of course load so we know you can handle college and you're great at your art so we we accept you on that. Mm-hmm. Like I think it would be a different story if we had to do some something like MIT or a more academic college where I'd actually have to like submit work and stuff that my kids cuz I remember we looked at that ages ago like I don't even know why I was looking at MIT but like they wanted like at that time, I don't know what their standards are now, but it was something like they wanted a portfolio of all the coursework you've done and all your classes. And I was like, wow, that's intimidating. But but that was also like five years ago. So I don't even know what it looks like now, but I know I recommend to people, to, especially as they're starting out in the high school years, like just look up a few colleges that you think your child might be interested in especially like state schools, whatever's closest to you, look at those schools and look at what they're asking for in admissions. Like what kind of information do they need from you as a homeschool parent? Like when we applied to the school my kids are right now, they really just wanted a transcript and their samples of their art. So that was pretty easy, I think. So it's not nearly as scary as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I think that's also something to consider too. Like whatever you've built up in your mind, it's probably not going to be as bad as that. The colleges that expect that kind of like crazy amounts of information are pretty few and far between. So most of the schools we looked at were fairly easy as far as what they expected you to submit. Oh,
0: great. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so you know, we're, I think we're coming up to the end here. Is there any guiding okay. wisdom that you'd like to you know share with s- some listeners um, know, things they need to think about, you know, message to go forward?
1: Um, I would say my biggest thing that I've been telling people lately is just to take a deep breath. You're doing enough. Like you're not going to do everything in one year. Like there's so much material out there to use in your homeschool, that I think it can be overwhelming. So just try to remember that you don't have to do everything all at once. Like you don't even have to do every subject every day. You can take it easy and like do it on a loop schedule or maybe every other day we do this subject and every other day we do that one and just try not to overdo it. I know as new homeschoolers, when I was new to homeschooling, I I tried to do too much. And so I think it's important to like be able to take that step back and say, what do I actually need to cover today? Don't worry so much about what you're going to cover tomorrow or the next day or that just focus on right now like what does my child need from me today and if that's just we're going to snuggle on the couch and read a few books that's enough if that includes like oh we're going to do a field trip we're going to do art projects and all of that then that's great too but you don't have to do all of that in one day
2: that's great advice yeah, I think that's something that we all need to remember. Even even though we know and we tell we tell our listeners the same thing, sometimes we've, we even find ourselves trying to do too much. So yeah, it's, it's really so good to, to slow down. Well, and there's just so much goodness that you want to share with your child. Yeah. Where you're, oh, definitely. We're, we're yeah. bursting with information we want to and, and exploration we want to do with, with her. And I, I know that's the way a lot of homeschool parents feel too. But sometimes we have to rein ourselves in a little bit uh, to keep from getting overwhelmed. So, well, thank you so much, Emily, for your time. We sincerely appreciate appreciate it. And we're very much looking forward to, to starting Build Your Library.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a great time.
2: Thanks so much for joining us today and making us a part of your homeschool journey. Please engage with us on social media. Join our Homeschool Together podcast group on Facebook and find us at Homeschool Together podcast on Instagram. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions, and recommendations. Until next time.
1: Happy homeschooling!